I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. It's Martin Shipton, and today I'm with Dr Shibani Roy, who is the chair of the North Wales Association for Multicultural Integration, and I know is very much involved in trying to ensure community cohesion in Wales. Shivani, tell me a bit about your background. Where were you born? I was born in Kolkata, India. So what happened then? Did you get educated in India, and at what stage did you come over to the UK? Partly. I did my graduation in science, first of all. Then I've done my hotel management degree in an institution, formal institution, not an apprentice in a hotel, not like that. And then I became a principal of a hotel school. Then I came to UK for to become a member of, uh, that time it was uh, Hotel Catering and Institutional Management Association. Now it has become Institute of Hospitality. So eventually I became a member, then I became a fellow as well, I'm a fellow now. Also, I am the vice chair of Institute of Hospitality, Cymru Brands. And then I think you progressed from that, didn't you? Because you did a doctorate. Where did you do your doctorate? Uh, Keele University. Keele University yes. in Staffordshire, I think in it is, isn't it? Yes, That's right. Yes. And what was that in? I wanted to stay and stay in the UK, so I stayed with my elderly relatives in London. And then when they died, uh, I couldn't stay with their children because there's a generation gap. They're younger people, so I had to fend myself. And looking for a job, and it was very difficult to find a job. Second thing, I could not take a small job in the hotel industry because my colleagues are there all well placed. And then I tried tried to apply here and there. I didn't get any job anywhere. Then finally, I got so fed up. So I saw one ad in the lady magazine. They were asking for some hotel house manager for elderly people, and it was a charity. Then I applied, and I said, I'm an Asian. If you want to take me, then you take me, otherwise you don't waste your time or my time. And Luan, it was a national organization. They've got units all over the country. Luan, behold, I got a reply from them, from the head office, that we have sent forwarded uh, your application to many places. Hopefully, you'll hear from them very shortly. And Luan, behold, behold I got three replies. Uh, gave interview and got the job. Uh, I took the job and I was so happy. After six months of bad time, after my my relatives died, six months was very, very bad time for me. But I learned. I have seen the world that time. When I was with my relatives, I, I stayed in a sheltered life with them and they were business people. I went with them wherever they went and all nice, nice society. Then after that six months, I had a really bad time and I've seen, seen all this, what is in the world, really, real life. What helpfully welcomed by the community and the management committee plus the residents. I was very, very, very happy. Honestly, I was very happy. So happy that within one year, I didn't take a single holiday. I took my day off, but not a single holiday, honestly. Um, then I thought, yes, I know how to run and ma- run a house. I know how to treat people, I know everything, but I didn't know much about elderly people's welfare. Then I came to Bangor to study gerontology, and I stayed in North Wales, I didn't go back to South Wales, 
after studying having a diploma postgraduate diploma in gerontology I went to medical ethics yeah. so what was the what was the substance of that course what were you trying to what were you looking at in terms of medical ethics it's a rights and wrongs of treatment particularly these days it's very important when you talk about dying patients it is very important to decide and it's very hard to take any decision either either way so we grew group of medical ethicists and group of doctors all together we would debate and talk and discuss and then we decide what is the best for the patient and that's to patient best interest not what our doctors think patient interest but it should be actually what is patient's best interest so you you did the doctorate at Keele University by that stage you were actually living in north wales north, yes, yes. so what got you involved in organizations that are trying to create community cohesion between the various cultures and races in north wales when i went to north wales it is very different from south wales i was not welcome at all in north wales i had to take a job in a nursing home it was not a happy time i will keep it as simple as simple as that it was not a happy time i just managed to stay there for one year then i said i past one year i am resigning now and if i am resigned uh, after one or two months then it will be a hopper keep on hopping from one job to other then it will be difficult for me to get a job so just i re- uh, completed one year then i resigned then i got a job in another abi field then i had the experience of treating people differently for their color creed uh geographical location whatever it is the people are being treated differently i i want to be very careful what i say language wise so i will be very careful to choose my language so people are being treated differently then suddenly came in my mind why can't i do something myself to avoid such discrimination or different treatment to different people whatever their differences it's not only color creed or their disabilities as well and socio economic difference in the society all comes together i know very well uh, our mp which is the conservative mp david jones because there are not many ethnic minority people particularly women who those who are working in the communities not many so that's why you came to know david jones very very closely and his office was just away stone through away from my place just i went to see david jones and said david I call him David. I said, David, I want to do this. How do we say this? Very good idea, Shivani. Let us do it. And within very few, within few months, we launched um, this. And uh, that time it was North Wales Association for Multicultural Integration, and we launched it in Town Council Hall. I was very new to public. I knew David Jones, but I was new to almost new to public. But the hall was absolutely packed. rather overflowing believe me martin and we had somebody from indian high commission as well cultural atas he came and people from many organizations police and everywhere it was absolutely packed and overflowing how so long ago was this then it was on 11th of march 2011 but this wasn't the first organization that you've been involved with which related to community cohesion because i think that previously you'd been vice chair of um, what became a rather controversial organization called awima the all wales ethnic minority association what went wrong there 
I don't know where to begin, Martin, but I will begin anyway. Uh, before uh, before I joined, I was a board member of um, New Red. That time it was North Wales Racial Equality Network. I was a board member, and they were connected with Elima uh, and New Red was, was connected. And they, they were working partners. Then I was appointed as vice chair of one of the vice chairs of Awima through not through really but uh, on the connection. So when that job was offered, position was offered to me, I took took it, and I was representing North Wales to Awima. The thing about Awima was that it was investigated, wasn't it, as a result of various irregularities, and eventually it got shut down. It had a lot of money from the Welsh government and yes. in European yes. funding. Yes. What sort of damage did that saga do to the cause of racial cohesion in Wales, would you say? Very, very deeply, very, very deeply. It affected very, very deeply entire South Wales, all uh, organisation which deals with ethnic minority or equality even. It was deeply, deeply affected and it created such a bad name. Not only the organisation, even charity commission. They have changed their policy in many ways for for any kind of charities, particularly with charities dealing with ethnic minority. The Wherever you go, Martin, whatever, even now, only a few days ago, I attended a meeting in the Newtown Community Centre. And that time, Alima just comes, and they come and talk about what happened there, and money has become scarce, government money has become scarce because of downfall of Alima. So the people, everybody talks all the time. I guess the challenge is really to see how one can bring people of various races together. Cardiff, of course, where we are recording this, is well known, has been well known over many years for the good relations that have been between the races. Um, And of course, it's one of the oldest multiracial communities in the UK and it's something where because of the long-standing docks uh, historical tradition there were people coming in in much earlier than Windrush for example to Cardiff and a lot of working class people in Cardiff have got black friends in a way that that might not necessarily be the case elsewhere. When you went to North Wales the level of ethnic minority or the proportion of ethnic minority members of the population is a lot lower than in South Wales, isn't it? Much, much, much lesser than South Wales. What attitudes did you find that were perhaps not as good as they should be? Did you yourself encounter much racism? Not very openly, not verbal abuse or that usual saying, blacky pucky, go away, that sort of thing. I never experienced myself. But in the job market, yes, there is, definitely. What do you think this stems from? I am a very, very honest person, Martin. I don't blame without any reason. I don't blame anybody without any reason. And North Wales jobs are very scarce for local people itself. Problem with NSS, problem with schools, they have their problem. So when, if people do not like insurgents of People coming from outside, it's not only from outside the UK. People come from um, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, 
and they are not very happy with their, their mother. It's not only Asian people, colored people, it's not that. So I particularly do not blame them if you are against people coming in and using their scarce resources. That is one of the main reasons. That's what I found. And yet it's very easy to point the finger at people who look different and say they're to blame for the economic crisis or whatever, when in fact one can make a very good case for saying the reason for an economic crisis is to do with the structure of the economy, that there's a lot of inequality around and that people are not given the opportunities that they deserve and that's got nothing really to do with their race. They have to find an scapegoat. They have to find a scapegoat, yeah. How do you think the best way of dealing with that scapegoat issue is? Um, That's what we are doing. That's what, exactly that's what uh, we are trying to do. Educate people, educate people and just say that we are all are human beings and uh, we exchange culture as well. We try to make them friendly and understand each other's culture. And when they learn all other cultures, then possibly they will become friendly. I think, and you've shown me a letter which was written quite recently to you yes. from somebody in North Wales yes. who, shall we say, does not appreciate your efforts. And first of all, they got it entirely wrong because they thought that you were promoting Islam uh, and that you were a Muslim, uh, which is com- it just isn't the case because you're a Hindu, aren't you? But the letter reveals a distrust bordering on hatred for Muslims, I would yes, say. Muslimophobia, yes. Islam, Islamophobia, yes. Yeah. What, what? I mean, obviously, there is a, a tiny minority of people who would proclaim themselves to be Muslims who have engaged in terrorist activity. But one could equally say that about people who have other uh, faiths or no faith at all. Yes. Why do you think that ordinary Muslims have come in for such a lot of abuse? sometimes very vile abuse. Well, Martin, you have seen that some of the people have replied to me against the letter, so they're ignorant people, and that's the ignorance of them, many people. They don't know how to differentiate with the general public, good public, those who are doing good work in the community in the UK, and only a fair few and, um, are Muslims, but they do not know how to differentiate the good and bad people. They generalize everybody. Because it's a huge task to overcome that kind of prejudice, isn't it? Because I imagine that the kind of work that you do, and you've also been, you're, are you a member of uh, Colin Baytown Council? No. Uh, I was a councillor, I was a mayor as well, yes. You were the mayor as well. Yes. So in that role, you were able to have some influence, if you like, because you would no doubt be making speeches and you'd be talking to people and you would be a visible person in the community. I was was definitely visible when I became a mayor, yes. And that in itself can be a good thing because people can see that uh, he is just somebody who is doing good. But if people have really got very bigoted views about people who adhere to a particular religion... How can an organisation like yours really get to those people? Aren't you just going to be appealing to the good-natured people who would accept what you're doing anyway? How can you actually sort of cross the line and get to the people who are bigoted in order to change their minds? 
I call myself a people person. I just see people, human being as a human being. Doesn't matter what is their views or background. Or I do not mind. That's why possibly you have seen him there. I asked him to talk. That gentleman, Mr. Hughes. I asked him to come and have a festive chat. We have to change, but slow, very slowly. It tit for tat. It's not the way. It's not the way to change people. By educating people and talking to people, eventually and gradually, you have to convince them that all human beings are not bad, and that that color doesn't matter. It's individual, and that is what I always believe myself. We have to treat them as individual. Doesn't matter whatever is their background, is their education or or um, faith or color. No, all human beings are human beings, and good and bad in every religion, every country. I think there is um, significant evidence that since the referendum in 2016, there has been a rise in racist incidents and hate crimes in relation to people who come from ethnic minorities. Did you find that campaign and some of the things that happened during it and some of the things that have happened since quite disturbing? Yes, yes, there, there, there is very increased number of hate crimes everywhere. It's not so much in North Wales as yet, but in big, big cities, definitely. And do you think that there are malign people who have been stirring uh, the trouble? Yes, these people are there working behind the scene. Yes. They're behind the scenes doing yes. this. Yes. With what end, do you think? What do you think their motive is? What do you think they want to achieve? It's a, mainly hatred. And... Uh, Go to their own countries, that is the campaign as well, go, don't go to their own countries. And as I said before, you are using your scarce resources. That is another thing everywhere, the entire UK, whole UK, people think that way. Other people coming from outside using their scarce resources. And yet there is evidence from studies yes. that immigration has actually been of benefit to the economy of Wales and more widely uh, in the UK and there is a problem in Wales uh, and the UK isn't there with the need for younger people to actually have jobs to be able to contribute to society because we've got aging populations and we're not probably producing enough younger people to be able to sustain the uh, the pensions that will have to be paid in the future. I mean, do you think sometimes there's a lack of preparedness on the part of politicians to actually tackle this problem and to and to face down racism? Do you think it hasn't really been done sufficiently, and there are too many politicians who will who will just maybe go along with it or try to ignore it and not confront it? I'm glad you mentioned that point. I'm really, really glad, and that is a, that is a fact. Government politicians of all level, and the actual government, those who are power ministers, they're not doing much. They talk about it, but they do not do much in practical practicality. What would you like to see politicians do in practical terms to improve the situation? Uh, they, they should entrust organizations like us, one thing, not not wholly. We do not want to create under OIMA, partially those who are doing really good work, sincere good work, who, those who has um, 
proof that they're doing good work, they should entrust those, uh, those organizations to help. And obviously, everybody talks about go to school and then start educating ch children from school, which in my opinion is not always easy. Because these days, school children are overwhelmed with so many things. It's not that easy to uh, dump all, all problems to, to the poor school children. It's not always possible. But as much as possible, uh, to educate people f as from as young age as possible. And then obviously colleges, universities. Universities are doing a good job these days. They've got international student services and all multiculturalism, multi-faith uh, work that's going on almost all the universities in the UK these days, which is a good thing, but it is the effort of universities, not much from the government. Do you think that the decision of the UK government to, in recent years to try to limit foreign students coming into the UK has been counterproductive. Very much so, and I've been campaigning, campaigning vigorously and openly, yes. And universities are suffer, suffering very much. Not only universities, even higher education colleges as well, they're suffering very much. Because very much they rely on revenue from foreign students foreign coming students. over here, and they can get they, a lot of money, can't they? From yes, they uh, they get more tuition fees from the foreign students. Plus, foreign students leave there; they, they do not come from home because their home is not here. They stay and they spend money in the locality, so it affects the local economy as well. And yet, the government, the UK government doesn't seem to appreciate that, does it? Because it has been trying to cut back on students. I mean, I know, I'm aware that they are very rigorous in terms of who they allow in, and there are some people who just cannot get into the country even though they want to study. What sort of message are we sending out to people in other countries um, if we are putting all these restrictions on them? I mean, recently, the Norwegian government was saying that it was advising its... Uh, nationals not to come to study in the UK because obviously Brexit is happening. Not that Norway is a member of the EU, but I think that Britain is getting a bit of a bad reputation internationally for its approach to people from other parts of the world, yes, isn't it? Yes, de definitely after Brexit, the number, has, number is dwindling. Uh, many people, they say, why should we bother to go to UK? There are other universities in other countries, Harvard University and other places. Some people even go to Russia rather than coming to coming to UK. I did write to uh, government about that. I wrote some articles as well. I was assured that genuine people have no problem in coming. They get visa, genuine people. But how they find the genuine people from the new applicants, that I do not know. What's your perspective on the issue which seems to cause a lot of upset for uh, a significant part of the population, which is um, asylum seekers coming to the UK? At the Assembly, there are those who say that Wales should be a country of um, sanctuary for yes. refugees. Yes. And yet there are, as you know people in Wales who wholly disagree with that. They don't like that idea. They don't think that we should be offering sanctuary and they perhaps they blur the distinction between refugees who are fleeing uh, oppressive regimes and people who are economic migrants. 
and they probably don't like either of those categories. How can that sort of attitude be uh, opposed? It is, once again, it is government job, or government, since government is not doing much, but some of the uh, charity, charity organizations helping them, like uh, Wales uh, Refugee Council, yes, the British Rest Cross, they are helping. So it's a between almost tug of war, really, who can do the best. Government, uh, government helps verbally, and all the charity work, charitable organizations, they work part- practically. What would you like to see, or how would you like to see the organisation which you chair develop in the future? We need government support, we need funding, and luckily you can see Martin here, we are 18 people, and I managed to get them very hard way, it was not easy to get them, but finally I got them from North Wales and South Wales both, and we managed to spread our word, uh, not only UK, we had two events in House of Commons, they were well attended, and we managed to, even we had some lords, MPs, diplomats from other countries posted in London. We, uh, we managed to spread the word, and we'll keep on uh, spreading the message like that gentleman wrote, and one day we'll talk to him and change his mind, and hopefully people like them, they, they will understand and spread the words, even that Mr. Hughes, people like Mr. Hughes can spread the words up peace and harmony. So if you get the money, or if you get more money to fund your organisation, yeah. what would you do with that money? What would you, How would you spend it to improve the services that you can offer? First of all, you have to get a place, and place to establish our organisation. Then we want to start classes. We ran some language classes, but that is not good enough. Not enough. Classes aren't cultural components like uh, music, cookery, even costumes and all sorts of whatever comes under culture. We want to conduct classes and that is where we can educate all all encompassing, not only language and that cultural engagement as well. We have formed already formed a band with music around the world band called Darbari. Then we want to develop that as well. We want to bring people of all ages, all caste and creed, coming and playing together and practicing music together, and they can perform uh, annually and they can perform whatever they want. Many people do ask us, send us your band, send us your people for multicultural events. We do not have any as yet, and that will, that will help. It will it will spread if we have money and resources. It will spread much quicker than people will get masses much quicker than now. How soon do you think you would be able to get something moving if you were funded? That depends on the, that person's like you, Martin. In terms of getting a message out? Yes. To what extent do you think you really can get through to those people who are sceptical about multiracialism? One thing I'll tell you, Martin, when I became a councillor in Colin Bay, the same year there's a BNP were there, four, four members from BNP were there, and I had no problem with the BNP. We are quite friendly. We are poly- not politically friendly, but personally we are friendly. And uh, we used to chat and talk and everything. And eventually, believe me or Martin, I'm not bragging. So I managed to talk to them and managed to convince them. They, and they have gone. It's not that they have gone because of me, but 
up within a year, whole BNP, four people have just left. And we are really friendly. We have nothing, no problem at all with me and them. So do you think then that racism to a large extent is able to proliferate when people who have those views do not know people from uh, ethnic minorities? And therefore, the important thing is to have people from Welsh communities meeting people from ethnic minorities in order to understand that they are not unpleasant, nasty people. Oh, no, yes, they're not unpleasant, one thing. Second thing, they're not parasites. They're not parasites. Maybe few, few depend, but refugees and uh, incomers are very, very... Few of them depend on the state state of help. Very, very few. They work very hard. Mostly they work very hard. I know few refugee people coming from Syria within one year, and they have been trying all along to get jobs. And they, some of them uh, took um, a driving lessons, became a driver here. And whatever training was offered to them, they took all possible training they could do, including language classes, and they have started working, many of them started working within one year because they wanted to work regularly, that they're not parasites. So are you quite optimistic about the future so far as integration is concerned? Yes, yes, eventually, slowly, slowly, it won't be one night, but slowly, slowly, definitely we can do that. And that is our mission. Sometimes the criticism is that members of some ethnic minority groups are themselves not keen on integrating. It's very good. Yes, very good point, Martin. And seeing it myself, it is very, very hard. Some of the people, another thing that when you talk about integration, many people think it is assimilation. No, we are not going to give our culture. We are not giving, we are giving culture of our roots. So that's what they say. Very openly, to not to me, to everywhere. And that is the thing we are trying to, I have written here as well somewhere, that integration is not assimilation. And thankfully... We attended one meet, uh, event in Westminster quite recently. One gentleman, he's very elderly, disabled, Pakistani origin, and he made the statement which I liked very much. Uh, we do not mind integrating. We like to be integrated, but we won't assimilate. They said only from only one person I heard that the statement. So we have to explain to people as well that is another education that integration is not assimilation. And dual culture, keeping dual culture is very much possible, which I do myself. At home, I'm a typical I'm a Bengali. At home, I'm a typical Bengali. I am a Hindu. I worship most of the Hindus, they worship at home. We have little altar and we worship every day. I do that. I love my own food. I love my own music. Obviously, costume and everything. I'm a typical Bengali at home. But when I go out, I try to take care of that culture of the land. And that's what that's what I am trying to promote to all people, all incoming people, that we have to respect and abide by the law and culture of the land. And that, that is our moral duty, really. It is our moral obligation to do that. And saying in somebody else's country, it's not the right word I should mean, but anyway, I'm telling you. When you go ab- abroad, stay anywhere else and cling, clinging to our own culture, own costume all that time, it is not fair. I, according to me, it is not really right. 
keeping it both culture side by side is uh, it is okay but we have to avoid with the love love the land and we should respect love and promote also not only respect love also promote also culture of the land then only we we, we can bring peace and we can bring co- cohesion it's not i always tell people when i teach in the diversity that it takes two hands to clap finally there's another issue that i will raise with you which touches on this yes i very recently wrote a story about how the welsh government is planning to introduce into the uh, school curriculum uh, more teaching about LGBT people, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people. And they're talking about increasing the amount of LGBT history that is taught to people. And I know that this is something which Plaid Cymru has been pressing, but I think that the... Um, Liam Wood. Yeah, Liam Wood is, is, is very um, uh, keen on this, but there are others, including people in the Welsh Government, who are keen on it as well. Now, there are... Uh, and this has happened in England, where this sort of initiative has taken place. Yes. There's been a lot of opposition from some Muslims, for example, who uh, disapprove of their children being taught about gay people and the, and the normalisation of the gay lifestyle and they object to this. What's your perspective on that? Well, I believe in equality and equal rights as well. I've got a good friend, Jenny, possibly you know, she's a very, very well-known person. I think she's MBE as well. As yes. a transgender person? Yes, she's a, you know her. I've spoken to her, yes. Oh, good, that's why yes. you know. We are good friends. Everybody has got a right to their own opinion, own lifestyle. That's what I can say. And so if these people try to say that we should be able to withdraw our children from these classes where people are being taught, where children are being taught about um, the gay lifestyle, do you think that's wrong? It is very, very wrong. Then other side of the other people will say, OK, we don't want any Muslim children in our school, take them away. So they should live and let live. Yes, yes, that is a motive that should be there. Stubbornness is very bad. If you if you want to live in the world, I, I always say myself to everybody, those who make all the fuss about other people, then you should not be living in the society. You go to Himalayas and live there. That's what I say to people. If you want to live in the society, you have to be tolerant. Tolerant. Shivani Rai, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for asking Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week. 